Does your dog, well, today the person that's going to ask this question is a fantastic Sue Halpern. We're going to be talking about her incredible book, A Dog Walks Into a Nursing Home, Lessons in the Good Life from an Unlikely Teacher. Sue, does your dog do... Does my dog have phantom noises that make her bark? Yes, she does. We don't know what those noises are, but she does. That is really a good one. And speaking of a good one, I was so taken with Sue's book. What was so incredible about it is that you you made these connections with the seven virtues, restraint, prudence, faith, fortitude, hope, love, and charity. And what I would love to do is to go through chapter by chapter. I, I pulled out a story and how it related to the virtue the chapter is named for. Now, I'm not going to give away everything because I want people to get the book. The first question I always ask every guest is, when did your love of dogs begin? I don't know when it began because I think it was in inherent, uh, intrinsic at birth. Uh, I've always loved dogs and um, you can't see my computer, but it. I, I bought these stickers for my Middlebury College students and they're all dogs and I failed to give them <laughs> they're all over my computer. Now, I really enjoyed learning about Pransky. So we, before we get into chapter by chapter, just tell us a little bit about Pransky. So Pransky came to us in a kind of uh, circuitous way. Um, we had another dog and that dog, I hate to say this, but it seemed to have some sort of death wish. It, um, it ate rat poisoning. It went into someone's backpack and ate all of their Claritin. Um, it ate pizza dough that hadn't risen and ended up in the emergency room oh, no. or uh, and then into the vets for a week um, and then eventually um, managed to get herself uh, killed. Uh, she got run over oh. in our driveway um, and oh, it was so horrible. Sorry. It was the worst. Oh, and I can't um, imagine. Anyhow, then, and, and then, you know, I was bereft beside myself. Um, I mean, it was a kind of a crazy dog, but I, of course, loved her. Um, and then um, she had come from a breeder in uh, Virginia. So I got in touch with the breeder who kind of knew that this dog had some issues. Um, and the breeder told me that the um, winning list was about a year and a half. And I said, okay, but could oh, wow help us out here a little bit. And she called me back a day later and she said, we have this dog and the people who are supposed to have this dog can't have the dog because um, she's probably going to shed and they have allergy issues. Do you have allergy issues? I said, no. She said, can you come here in three days? This was in Virginia. I live in Vermont. And I was like, yes. Oh. Um, <laughs> Um, and she was an, a, a, just a remarkable dog. She was so smart. Um, her vocabulary was huge and um, she was also a terrific athlete. So uh, she sort of hit all the notes for our family. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I want to start in the first chapter, you write about restraint and this made me laugh. You write, have you ever seen a dog tugging on its leash with such determination it appeared to be strangling itself? And I thought, yep, that was my first dog. He was a border terrier pity mix and he was impossible to walk. It took a really long time. And 
when I was reading about all the things that you have to do to have your dog be a therapy dog, including walk by a bowl of food, I thought, how is any dog going to do this? But Pransky is amazing because he had everything beat except the walk. So talk to us about what it was like really spending that time to learn that skill. It was interesting because the therapy uh, requirements wouldn't let you use something like a, a gentle leader, which she wouldn't have used anyhow. She, when we put it on her, she did this thing called nose surfing to get it off. Um, but <laughs> I've seen but that. We, we just couldn't get her to walk on a leash. She just hated it so much. And so I would go out with her every day and we would try all the tricks, you know, that you learn about how to walk a dog on a leash. And she just didn't want to do it. Uh, she would pull and pull and pull. And um, we did this, for, I think it was like for six months, every day, we would go out for 15 or 20 minutes and try this and um, never really stuck. I was really just blown away when I was reading all the things that the dogs have to do. Tell us a few more. The the food, the food. And, and that was something that somehow I managed to miss. There were 15 things, 15 tests that we had to do in the course of about a two, two and a half an hour, hour uh, exam. And I somehow missed the idea that we would have to train her to walk around a, a, a dish of food without indicating that she was interested at all. Um, and so when we got to the test, uh, there it was. And I was like, oh no, oh no, because you're supposed to teach your dog the, um, the command, leave it. But we never gave our dog any food and she never really seemed to be interested in our food. Um, and so I didn't teach her the command, leave it. Um, and so we got to this part of the exam and what they had done was put a plate full of milk bones on the ground. And our task was to walk around it without her in, any interest in it whatsoever. And I think that those uh, milk bones must have been out in the hot sun all day because she was definitely not interested. She was like, whatever. <laughs> we just walked right around it. No problem. She just wasn't interested one bit. I want to jump into the chapter on prudence. And you write, quote, there was the unsettling intimacy of visiting people in their beds. And there was the disparity between my situation and theirs, between sickness and health, between their age and mine, between confinement and freedom, between no dog and dog. I went there thinking that it was going to be depressing and I, but I wanted to do it. Um, but I didn't feel that way at all. Uh, it was very joyful because the dog brings joy to people who, you know, in their everyday life don't have that kind of connection, um, particularly don't have physical connections with people. You know, when you get to be that old and infirm, uh, you know, the people who are touching you tend to be touching you because it's therapeutic. You know, they're, they're nurses or their physical therapist, um, the dog comes along wagging its tail, jumps in the bed, cuddles up, licks, does all the things that dogs do, um, some of which, by the way, are probably illegal, not supposed to be doing in a nursing home, but nonetheless, um, doing it anyhow. And, um, and it just breaks down borders. It makes everybody happy. It makes made me happy. It made the dog happy. It made the person in the bed happy. It made the roommate of the person in the bed happy. 
Um, it made the people who work there happy. The, the, the level of happiness that just sort of attends to your dog when your dog walks into a nursing home is tremendous. And uh, it, it breaks down all those barriers right, right away. So, you know, all of my preconceived notions were just tossed out the window as soon as we started doing that work. I love this as well. Empathy requires us to imagine ourselves as someone else, but that's not what I was doing. Instead, I was putting my intact self in the wheelchair, which was not the same thing. That is really profound. Tell us about Joe, because you wrote that when you were talking about Joe and and kind of expand on that in a way about you're still you, you're still, you're not old, you're intact. And just imagine you sitting in the wheelchair isn't what it's like for Joe. Yeah, he was an interesting character. He was so loving. Uh, and his situation was pretty dire. Um, but he always had, I mean, I mean, it sounds like a cliche, but he was so happy to see us. Um, he always had a story. He always had a treat. Um, and, you know, he, he just... <laughs> If you looked at him objectively, you would think, oh, my goodness, you know, this guy has a terrible life. He's confined to a wheelchair. He can't walk. Uh, you know, he has a catheter. But but his wife came every day. She loved him very much. She would always bring him food and, you know, like go to McDonald's or, you know, wherever she would go and, you know, bring him treats. And she came all the time. We came. Uh, his kids came. Um, and in this confined space that he lived in, which was, you know, his, this facility, his room, his wheelchair, you know, each one of those getting smaller and smaller, he had a pretty big life. He had a big imagination and he had, he was surrounded by a lot of love. So, you know, I think that when I saw him the first time, I probably felt sorry for him. By the time we were done, I think I probably felt sorry for me for feeling sorry for him because he was, right. you know, such a great guy and such a bright light. Yeah. You know what I love too, and in, in Prudence, is you bring up the expression of the emotions in Man and Animals, you say it was published 13 years after The Origin of Species. And it had to do with when you're wondering whether your dog Pransky is a better person than you. Uh, you write, quote, Pransky could do and I could not yet was meet people exactly where they were. Disabled, jolly, moot, demented, frail, lonely, tired, chatty without a moment's hesitation. And that was a gift. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think that we as people have these preconceived notions when, you know, when we encounter another human being, whether it's you know, a, a able-bodied person walking down the road or whether it's someone in a nursing home in a wheelchair and the dog. And we know this, you know, again, just from walking down the street, the, the dog does not discriminate. The dog is happy to see you, whoever you are and however you are. And that is a remarkable lesson to learn. It's one that is also really remarkable to watch and then to try to emulate um, which is harder than you might think. Yeah, I'd imagine. You know, you talk about these seven virtues and you define them. And in faith, you write, the dictionary said faith was a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And you and Pransky 
have faith in each other, which was so beautiful. And I think that's what allowed you to be able to go, not just the fact that she's really smart. She learned all these things. What What do you think about that? I think it's so, so true. And, and it became very clear the whole time we were there because the communication that you have to have with your dog to do the work well is really profound. And we would walk down the hall and someone would be coming towards us. Let's say they were walking with a walker. And before she would do anything, she would look at me and I would look at her and we would just have a moment where the the question in her mind was, okay, what do we do? Do we go right up to that person? Do we sit? Do we wait till they pass? And this happened all the time. I mean, it wasn't a one-off. It was that that level of communication was really remarkable. And it's funny because in the beginning, when I was doing the training to get certified um, as a therapy dog team, I thought, oh, this is really silly. Um, My dog and I will do well no matter whether or not we do this training. And and it seemed like a, a kind of a hazing ritual to have to go through all of this. But I realized that all of that training that we did, even the unsuccessful walking on the leash training, um, solidified that relationship and made it very clear to her that when we were in that space, our relationship was one of total communication that we had to sort of be uh, have a mind meld that we understood what we were doing. Yeah, it was so apparent and so beautiful. Speaking of beautiful, I love your description of this woman named Annie. I'm just going to read the first sentence of it. She was old the way the wind is old, old beyond time. That really just captured me because I I knew what you meant, even though I couldn't really explain it. So, you know, it was really interesting because I I went to do this work because I had this very, very smart dog and I knew she was just bored. And, <laughs> and I really wanted to do something with her to stimulate her and also to share her. And um, I lit upon this idea of, of getting trained, uh, getting us trained to be a, a therapy dog team. And um, when we did that, and we, we went into the nursing home, um, I didn't really know who was going to be there and what their situation was going to be. And I did did not go there thinking, I'm going to write a book about this. I really went there thinking, we need something to do with this very smart dog who is bored. Um, And I just, as I was there, the more I was there, the more I I realized I couldn't write a book about it. There was no way to write a book about it. Um, But I did, I was taking notes. I was writing down things that occurred to me when I was there. Um, And I did that for over a year and thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and, and thought, well, maybe there is a way to write about this. Because the thing that struck me was that it's a world that we think we know. um, And it is a world we do not know. Yeah. And that was really hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I said, I mean, I had, we had fun. We had a really good experience and we'd had a good experience for seven years. I mean, we were there a lot. Oh my goodness. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, and 
obviously we got to know all of the people that were there who liked dogs, which were a lot of them. We met also the people who did not like dogs. Um, <laughs> we got to be friends with the people who worked there. Um, and that was the other thing about bringing a dog into it, into that uh, setting, which is that the dog for the people who worked there was also a bit of a kind of mental vacation. Um, it's hard work. It's physical work. Oh yeah. It's hard work. And the dog would just, you know, give them a break and, um, and, and it'll let them think about something other than, you know, sort of the issues at hand. Yeah. The way you tie everything in, I love this. You write, if the French philosopher Descartes needed an object example to prove his point that mind and body are separate entities, he would not do better than to choose Fran. I love reading about Fran. Tell us a little bit about Fran. She was a reporter and she had this really fascinating life. Um, she had grown up on an island off the coast of Boston where her father was the headmaster of a school for kind of poor boys. And she was the only girl. Wow. Um, and so she grew up in that setting. Um, and then she was sent to boarding school, girls boarding school. And then she came uh, to Vermont, to Middlebury College. And, and then she became a reporter. Um, and eventually, she ended up back in Vermont in this nursing home. Um, and her mind was just thoroughly active. I mean, it was just really fun to go oh, yeah. talk to her about books and about what was going on in the world and about dogs. She had uh, two dogs um, that were no longer with her. They were still alive, but they had not, she could not keep them in the nursing home because she couldn't walk. Oh. She was dead. Right, but the the distinction between her physical debilities and disabilities and her mental acuity was just so remarkable. And and one of the things I did was bring my Middlebury students in to talk to her because she just you know she was fascinating and had had lots of life experiences and was very articulate and so happy to you know, have these young people come and talk to her. Yeah, she was really interesting. Now, in Fortitude, you write about loss. The cratering loss experience when a dog dies is different from the cratering loss experience when other loved ones die because the whole relationship at its core is about nothing but mutual trust, a trust that is elemental, direct, and uncomplicated. The death of a dog feels like a failure. It feels like goodness itself has been extinguished. It's the worst. I mean, it's also because you can't have that conversation. You can't say goodbye in a way that is that you feel is sort of meaningful in in the way that you might with a loved one who who can still use words. Um, I think right, but it's just you know, and it just happens too fast. Um, you know, we we develop these. Relationships and then and then they're and then they're over um and it's awful yeah it really is and and in that chapter you you write about the fortitude that you saw in several of the residents Dottie was someone who was in the nursing home who was deaf and um had family far away 
I think she had a son who lived in Florida who came to me once a year. So she was very, very isolated. Um, she was very close to her roommate who was a human person, but she was just remarkably isolated and depressed for, you know, good reason. And then we show up, we show up and right. she loves dogs. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like the happiest day of her life. And so much so that she, you know, she knew one of the things that happens in the nursing home is it sometimes is really hard to know what day it is. Um, just because there are, you know, there are activities, but nonetheless, it, it can, everything can sort of blend together. But we were always there on Tuesdays and she knew what Tuesdays were because that's when we came. And we developed this relationship um, and she just loved Pransky so much. And so we started to do this thing where we would walk the dog together. And so she'd be in her wheelchair and um, I would be holding the leash kind of behind her, but she was also holding the leash. So I was pushing the wheelchair, had the leash in my hand and Dottie had her hand on the leash. Uh, and, and the dog would sort of walk ahead. And she was, Dottie was so proud of this activity and we went everywhere. And so this is a person who was so isolated and, and really hardly ever left her room. And suddenly we're like outside in the garden, walking the dog, or we were going down to the activities room or, you know, we were just everywhere. And she was, she just had this look of absolute joy and pride that she was the one who got to walk the dog every week. And it just was a kind of wonderful activity for all of us. Yeah, I loved reading about that. Now in Hope, you ask, where did you find hope in a nursing home? I found hope all the time in the nursing home. And I think it's because of the dog. Uh, I don't know if just going and visiting folks um, would have brought this out. But I I think that because we had access to people's emotions in ways that we wouldn't necessarily, because they weren't, you know, maybe if they were a relative or a close friend, but these were people who we would develop, would, we developed relationships with over the time that we were there. Uh, and, you know, going out to the garden, there's a, what they, what they did in this place was they built um, a garden at the height of a wheelchair. So residents could go out and plant and pick and look at the flowers um, and maintain, um, you know, a patch of green. And I think that in and of itself, I mean, just thinking about that is a very hopeful idea that you would get engaged with the um, activity of bringing things into, you know, to life. And so that was one thing. They, there were a lot of bird feeders um, and people loved watching the birds from their windows. And the staff was really good about feeding, you know, um, filling the feeders so that people could look at the birds. And, and there was just a sense that this was not a place where life was over. It was still a place where life was happening, um, where love was happening. Um, and the dog, I think, just underscored that over and over again. 
Does your family include a dog or a cat? Would you like to be better educated on how to advocate for their health naturally? Then why not check out all of the amazing resources on naturallyhealthypets.com? Dr. Judy Morgan is a trusted advisor and a regular guest here on the Dog-Eared Podcast. She has over 38 years experience as an integrative veterinarian, acupuncturist, chiropractor, food therapist, author, speaker, podcast host, and owner of Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets. Dr. Judy's goal is to change the lives of pets by educating and empowering pet parents just like you in the use of natural healing therapies and minimizing the use of chemicals, vaccinations, and poor quality processed food. Head on over to naturallyhealthypets.com where you'll discover healthy product recommendations, comprehensive courses, the Naturally Healthy Pets podcast, informative blogs, upcoming events, and so much more. Again, that's naturallyhealthypets.com, the place to learn how to give your pet the vibrant life that they deserve. Yeah, you you also write, most of the time, death blew over me like a chill wind that dissipated almost as soon as I felt it. But this changed with some of the people that died at the nursing home that you spent time with. Yeah. You, it was Tell us how that that kind of evolved. Well, I mean, you develop relationships with people. And, um, and I think when you first go into the nursing home, you think, oh, you know, everyone's going to die in about three seconds. And uh, <laughs> that's the end of it. Uh, but of course, that is not the way it goes. And a lot of people live for for years. And if you if you do what we did, which was go there every week for years, you develop these relationships with people. And um, there was this one woman uh, who was quite lovely and she loved, loved, loved the dog. And she would show up every week at the door. We would we would get there at 10 o'clock and she would be waiting for us and she she would do these slightly crazy things, um, which would be things like she would take some food from her plate and uh, wrap it in a napkin and um, save it for us. And that could been saved for like five days and typically would not be able to get the napkin off the treat. And it was incredibly <laughs> um, so sweet. And she, she met us there every week. And then one week she wasn't there and it turned out she'd had a stroke and, um, and she was in the hospital for a while and she wasn't going to get better. And they brought her to back to the nursing home and her family was all there she was dying and it was awful. Um, she was in this very agitated state and she was literally like writhing on her bed and making in unintelligible sounds. And it, it was, it was terrifying uh, for me um, and sad. And, um, and they had the, the railings up on her bed so she didn't fall out. And, so we arrived that her family knew about the dog and about me, I guess. <laughs> and they asked the staff that when we arrived, if we would come to her room. So we did. And it was really so sad to, to watch this. 
And I, I said to the, um, to the family, do you want the dog to get in bed with her? And I don't even know why I volunteered Pransky to do this, but I think it was because they had had such a strong relationship. And so they said yes. And they lowered the railing and the dog climbed in the bed and the woman stopped writhing and she reached her hand out and she touched the dog and it was amazing. And then she died. Not right then, but that day she did die. And, but you know, the dog knew what to do. The dog just pushed her body right against this woman's body. And it just did something so fundamental that whatever was going on, sort of the electrical storm that was in her brain just stopped. Um, and it, it was, it was so remarkable to watch. And then for the dog, it was so traumatic. I mean, she did such a beautiful job. We came home and she slept and slept and slept and slept. It was so hard. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking about Grace and I was going to ask you about that. It was really tough. Um, yeah, that she was not the only person where that, where we were sort of at least close to someone's death, but that was by far the most stunning, I think, and the one where I understood that whatever was going on between her and the dog was so much more profound than it even appeared, you know, on a weekly basis. Um, and, you know, it was really lovely was that um, the next week or the week after she died, um, I was somewhere in the nursing home and another person there said that they had been given the box of dog biscuits that, this woman had kept for Pransky. Um, they had been given it as a gift to give to Pransky every week. And, you know, someone like Joe, Joe, Joe had a baggie full of dog biscuits with him uh, constantly. And, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't visit without, I mean, the poor dog was like, by the time she got out of there, she was just so full of treats because everybody wanted to go. <laughs> give her something and you know half the time it was stuff off their plates but you know which you know we didn't really agree with but we had to abide by because you know it was a gift um she was obviously very happy about it but she'd come out of there and she'd be so stuffed oh yeah i just love that i just could i love that image speaking of love yeah you had a psychologist that you knew who said, and tell me, I might be saying the word wrong. I've never heard it before. Cathetic with respect to your dog. So I didn't know what that was. And once you said what it was, I thought, well, aren't we all? Cathetic. I mean, who isn't? Cathetic. Cathetic. Tell, tell us about this word. Um, I think what she meant was just um, that we were so in sync with each other. Um, I think that is... And, I, and, I, and you know, it was physically visible because of the way the Pransky would look at me and I, and I would look at her uh, to communicate without words. Um, so I think it was that mind meld that she was, was really talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the thing that was just so great and shocking 
to me about the whole experience was that I, I was doing it in the beginning because I wanted my dog to have something to do that seemed like a, you know, a benefit to her and to others. I wasn't really thinking about myself in that uh, equation, except the except to the extent that I was there. Um, I was bringing her into this setting, and I realized, you know, pretty early on that I had miscalculated that it wasn't just the dog and the people. It was the dog and me and the people and the dog and me um, and me and the people. So there were all of these like triangular things going on. Um, and I also just had this expectation that it would be scary and, and depressing. And it wasn't even the hardest parts of it weren't depressing. The hardest parts of it were just fundamentally human. And, you know, it was impossible not to learn things in that setting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think what was funny in the chapter in love was that my husband and daughter joke that I love my pity blue more than them. And uh, you were saying something about your husband and daughter sometimes would say they knew that you loved Pranny, most of all, and then refused to say they were joking. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's my family. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I can't help it. I love them so much. And you actually ask, was it possible to love a pet too much? I say no. And you also ask, we love our dogs, but do our dogs love us? Yes, they do. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know who Dr. Clive Wynn is. I interviewed him about his book, Dog is Love, Why and How Our Dogs Love Us. And it's scientifically proven. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, dogs are, it's uncomplicated. You don't have abuse. You don't have drama or trauma. Or words. Right. The very thing that makes it sometimes frustrating is the also the very thing that sometimes makes it so profound because you just know. It's just something in your body that knows about this love that you have and that you share. Yeah, it's so true. I love this too, you write, after our bodies were done with us, what remained? If we were lucky, someone to tell our stories. And you do such a beautiful job of, of these people are not one dimensional. They're really, you fill them out and we really get to know them. And, you know, Clyde cracked me up and, <laughs> you know, I love reading about, you know, Stella and Marlene and Dottie and Jasmine and Fran and, People have got to get this book. Sue, is there anything that you want to mention that we didn't talk about before we end today? And again, this is just an absolute must-read book. It's just fantastic. Um, I would say that I would encourage people to do this work. Uh, and the reason is because, you know, the obvious reasons that it's a good thing to do for, for the dog, for you, and for the people in the nursing home. Um, and the, but the other thing is like something I thought a lot about, which is that I was there for two hours a week, uh, every Tuesday in the scheme of my life, in the scheme of a week, two hours is really not very much time. It, 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 it's a blip, but for the people who you're visiting, it's huge. And it's just it, it's a different thing in in a nursing home than it is if you're not in the nursing home, and so 
you can have such a huge impact on people's lives by giving two hours of your time and your dog's time. And and that was just a really good lesson to learn that it, it's it's not like you have to move in there with your dog and, you know, develop these close <laughs> personal relationships. You'll develop those close personal relationships in those two hours every week. Um, and then it will have so much meaning for the people that you're visiting uh, more than you could possibly imagine. So it's it's really, it's not a hard thing to do. You have to have the right dog, obviously, um, but most dogs are probably the right dog. Um, you have to get trained or you have to train yourself and your dog. Um, and that is, you know, that's a commitment. But after that, you're on your own and you just have, you know, this tremendous gift to give that is really not very trying or taxing on you. And I think that's just really important for people to know that they can do this work. It doesn't take much time, but it will have a much bigger impact than you could possibly imagine. Not only did I love your book, I loved getting to speak with you today and have this wonderful conversation. The book is A Dog Walks Into a Nursing Home, Lessons in the Good Life from an Unlikely Teacher, Sue Halpern. How do we find out about you and all your wonderful writing? Uh, I do have a website. I can't say that I have updated it in the last while, but uh, it's just my name, Sue Halpern, S-U-E-H-A-L-P-E-R-N dot com. Um, Or... You can spend your time reading The New Yorker online where I write, uh, write for The New Yorker. Um, And uh, yeah, I hope people do read the book and I hope it inspires them to to do something similar in their own communities. Yeah, you've inspired me. I mean, Blue is such a mush and a and a people person and he loves to just he'll just sit with you for hours. I just don't know if I can do all the other things. <laughs> we got certified through some uh Therapy Dogs International um because I had the vague th- thought like, "Oh, we could go to France." <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. But uh but there there are a couple of different organizations that will will certify you. And the reason to get certified is twofold. One, because it forces you to develop this relationship with the dog that I think you don't, you think you have, but you don't. Um, And the second is at least with the group that we were um, affiliated with, it comes with um, liability insurance in case something untoward happens in the nursing home. And, and that becomes a really important feature for being allowed into a facility like that so that um, they don't have to worry that if something goes wrong, um, they're going to get sued because um, you're, you're carrying this liability insurance. So those are, are important things. And at least in, in the case of our work, we were working at a uh, county facility um, that was um, overseen by state regulators and um and we had to be certified otherwise um, they would be out of compliance with whatever laws there were um regarding having animals in the facility so that's another reason to get to get um certified but it's really not that hard um depending on on your dog I, i would highly recommend it and you can go online and 
look at other people, how they train their dogs. That's what I did. Um, I just watched other people going, oh, cool. going through it. And so that really was very helpful. Although obviously I missed the part about leaving the food behind, but aside from that, <laughs> you know, it's such a good experience for everybody. It's something that I'm definitely thinking about. And you really encourage me Everyone go out and grab this book. Again, a dog walks into a nursing home. Lessons in the good life from an unlikely teacher. And keep coming back to Dog-Eared. Rate, review, subscribe. And while you're here, check out Health Power. It's on the same channel. You can be healthy and hear great stories about dogs. Thanks so much. Keep coming back.